Amen. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for the cross of Calvary. May we never take it for granted. We thank you and praise you for your word, that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, we just ask that you would use it even now in every life that is here. May it be a surgical tool this morning, Lord, to just divide between bone and marrow, Lord, just to open us up to your truth. Just fill us afresh with your spirit. Lord, we ask that you would move in a mighty and a powerful way. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel again. Great to have you here. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 5. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament on Sunday mornings. We finished Genesis last uh, Wednesday. Um, I think we're going to be tagging on to the New Testament for a few weeks and then we'll go back to 2 Samuel, where we had left off before. And so be, be uh, reading ahead and preparing for that. Um, if you didn't notice, the children's ministry, actually all that painting is modeled after Israel. And there's an En room, and there's a Sea of Galilee, and the Dead Sea, and Jerusalem, and you saw the Temple Mount. So it's not just pretty to look at, but it's really effective in being able to minister to our kids. That when they walk into the children's ministry, it's going to be like walking into Israel and they can be great things that the teachers can even point. It's going to be fantastic. So praise God for that. Amen? Amen. Looking forward to that. All right. Well, we've been talking about this. And just be prepared. And if you want to run out of here in a little while, you can. But this morning, I'm going to get you out of your comfort zones a little bit later on in the message. So be ready for that. Oh, I didn't, I just, I'm my first time here. What is that about? How can I, I came the wrong week. No, it's good. God wants us to get out of our comfort zone sometimes. Amen. And it's time, we're the body of Christ, and if we can't pray with each other here, how are we going to talk about the Lord out there, amen? So we're going to continue going through 1 John chapter 5, and I just have such a burden on my heart. I mean, next Sunday is that uh, all-county prayer. Can I encourage you guys to pray about being there? I have to say up front, unfortunately, I was supposed to be one of the speakers, and I found out I will have already left for the senior pastor's conference after church on Sunday, but Pastor Joe Shoup's going to fill in. But there's going to be pastors there and churches there from all over the county. You know what Santa Cruz needs more of? Prayer. Amen. Amen. And you know what, when we have these opportunities to get together, there's only one church in Santa Cruz County, we're all a part of it, amen? And we need to gather together with other churches and pray with them that this county might be turned right side up, amen? All right, so this morning we live in a time, as we've been talking about for the last many weeks, we live in a time not unlike the time of 1 John, when there were persecution from the outside, though we don't deal a lot with that. But we're going to be dealing with it more in the coming days if uh, things keep going the way they do. But also false teachers from within. And we also live in a time when everybody feels like nobody can know anything for sure. If you know something for sure, you're painted as being narrow-minded or, you know, you've lost your mind. You know, everything's just floating and it's ambiguous and it's, you know, the moral relativism and the culture of today and it's based on our feelings. Guys, I praise God that we can know for sure. Amen? And so far what we've seen, we saw this last week, it's the same outline as last week because we're going to pick off where we left off last time. What we can know, what can we know for sure? You can know for sure, as we saw last week, that Jesus is God. Amen? Now that was weak. Jesus is God, amen? There, that's better, okay. You're going to get the old youth pastor in me coming out if you're sleepwalking through church this morning, amen? So it's okay, be awake. It helps your pastor to know that you guys are still in the room, all right? So we can know for sure that Jesus is God, not a God, not one of many gods, the one and true only God, and he is the only one. Now, this morning we're going to continue on. The second thing Point, but the first point this morning is we can know for sure that we are going to heaven. Guys, that ought to get us excited. Amen. We are going to heaven. And guys, we've been given a down payment on eternal life already. It doesn't start when we die. It started at salvation. We have eternal life. Second thing we're going to see that God answers prayer. You know what? We need to be praying more. And I've outlined the whole text, but we're probably going to stop after that point. And if you want to start thinking up your excuse now, once we get to that point, we're not going to just talk about prayer, but we're going to do some of it. Amen? And as the body of Christ, you know, a lot of times I think we spend a lot more time talking about praying than we actually do praying. 
And you know what? Sometimes we need to go beyond just the theory of what it's about and let's start doing it. Let's start praying more. So then Wednesday night, I'm going to pick up whatever I don't touch on this this morning. We'll finish on Wednesday night. So we finish up this book. We're going to see that true believers won't remain in sin. The Bible says that those of us will see it in the text that if we've been born again, we will not continue in habitual sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will convict us. It doesn't mean we'll be sinless. It doesn't mean we'll be perfect. But when we sin, we're going to be grieved by it. Amen? If you're walking in habitual sin and you're not grieved by it, you need to be born again. That's what the Word of God would tell us. And then finally, we know the truth. We don't think, we don't hope, we don't wonder, we don't guess, we know. Aren't you glad? Amen? Now again, I know we live in a time where just saying that to some people is offensive. Who do you think you are? How do you know? Because God says so. Amen? Let God be true and every man a liar. So let's pick up in verse 11 where we left off last week. What can we know for sure? We can know for sure that we are going to heaven. That we have eternal life. Look at verse 11. And this is the testimony. This is the testimony. Now, John in the previous verses just told us how important and serious the matter of receiving the testimony of God is. He said all who reject his testimony are calling God a liar. Now what was the testimony? We're going to talk about that as we move on. But let's read verses 9 and 10 again to give us context. Here's what it says. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Is that true or not? The witness of men. We hear the words of men all day long. The witness of God trumps them all. Amen? If every man is on this side, on the planet, and God is on this side, all the men are wrong. God is right. Amen? Men are trying to vote and put God on trial. You know what? We don't put God on trial. We will stand before Him one day on trial. But praise God that he loves us enough to send one to be an advocate for us that when we stand before him on judgment day who had paid for our sin if we will just receive his work of redemption at Calvary. It says if we receive the witness of men the witness of God is greater for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his son. God testified of his son. We talked about this last week. The water and the blood. Remember, there were several different opinions on what that meant. The water and blood coming from his side, the sacraments, his birth and his death. And one of the things that I found to be really appropriate with the context is it says that he testified of his son and certainly testified of his son at his baptism and at the crucifixion. And I'm not saying that's the only thing that applies. I think probably they all do to a certain extent, but... Remember when he was baptized, he came up out of the water and the father said from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit came down and descended upon him like a dove. John the Baptist, when he saw him coming, said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So God the Father testified that Jesus is his son. So Jesus is the son of God and he's also God the son. Amen? And he can't just be one or the other, he's both. So then we saw that the testimony was not only at his baptism, the beginning of his public ministry at the age of 30, but at the end of that public ministry, the culmination of it was at the cross of Calvary. And at the cross, the father testified that again, he is his son and that he is God. If you remember, the whole world went dark in the middle of the day, and then the earth quaked. And then the veil was torn. And then three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead, dead people got up out of the ground and went back into the city to testify to the fact that Jesus is God. We know that a centurion sitting by said, truly, this was the Son of God. The testimony has been put forth, and now you and I have a choice to make. Do we receive it, or do we reject it? Is God telling the truth, or are we going to reject what he has said and call him a liar? Guys, there's no middle ground with God. You're either for him, or you're against him. Amen? Well, man, that's being really dogmatic and very, you know, the Bible is very dogmatic. Why do we apologize for that? I said last week that I heard a quote that you can make, there are people that make the word of God so lukewarm. It would be like medicine that can't heal you or poison that couldn't kill you. You know, it's something that they make so tainted and so watered down that it loses all of its power. The word of God is powerful. 
And we need to proclaim it in love, never self-righteous, never with arrogance, but always with boldness. Then he said there in verse 10, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given us his Son. They have not believed the testimony that God has given us his Son. If you'd say that Jesus is not the Son of God, you make God a liar. Today we have liberal theologians, and I told you before, those two words don't fit as far as I'm concerned. But if somebody says, pulpits all over America today, people got up and said, well, Jesus was a good teacher. Well, Jesus is a way, or Jesus is a path, or the resurrection isn't that important, or the virgin birth is insignificant. That is rejecting the testimony of God, and you're making him a liar. We either, he's either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all, and we either believe it all, or we don't believe him at all. Amen? Bible is not a, you know, a, a Chinese menu where you go through and pick out a few items that you want. We either take it all or we don't take it, amen? And here's the testimony. He's bringing this forcefully to these first century Christians who are dealing with false teachers and some of them are starting to be swayed. No doubt some of them might have thought, well, maybe I'll hold on to a little bit of what I believed before and add this to it. Guys, we need to add nothing to the word of God. It's sufficient. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. If we do, we're making God a liar. So this is the testimony. This is the testimony that he was talking about. This testimony that he said, if you reject it, you make God a liar. Here's what it says. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. This is God's essential message to man. Here it is. Here's God's message to man. Here's what it is. You're separated from me because of your sin. But because I love you, I sent my son to die in your place. And if you will but receive him as Lord and Savior, I will give you eternal life. You are dead, you want life, it's in my son. That's the message, amen? You're spiritually dead, if you want life, it's in my son. It's in his son, it's in Jesus Christ. He says, that's the testimony. Guys, what have you done with God's son? Have you received him? Have you been born again? Do you believe he's the only way? We'll talk about belief in just a moment because it goes beyond belief. The first century Christians being outwardly persecuted and inward false teachers trying to sway them. The message today as well is again trying to get a sidetrack by the cares of life or the latest or newest spiritual wave. I was meeting with a family this week and they were talking about how spiritual someone in their family was. Guys, I don't like that word. It means nothing. Guys, you can be spiritual, you can be sincere and wrong. Amen? Guys, the word of God is so clear and I am so glad. There's no guessing, there's no wondering. There's not 500 paths to choose from, there's one way. Jesus is the only way, amen? God's essential message both then and now is that eternal gift is a gift, eternal life is a gift from God that can only be received in and through his son guys you don't earn it you don't attain it it's not a reward for good work it's a free gift that you don't deserve amen and that is a gift that is offered but must be received only through his son the word eternal life there means perpetual eternal forever everlasting it's not something again you receive when you die but it's received at the very moment that you are born again when you cry out to jesus you confess your sin and you make him not just your savior but lord of your life the holy spirit comes to live inside of you as a down payment on heaven read ephesians chapter 1 And you know what? The Bible, the term there is earnest money. You know, he's given earnest money. Like, hey guys, here's your down payment on heaven. Here's how you know that you're going to heaven. Here's how you know that you're going to have eternal life. The eternal one is going to come and live inside of you. The Holy Spirit. And because you have the Holy Spirit, you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. Amen? That you have eternal life. And it doesn't start later. It has started already. We have passed from death into life. Now that word eternal in the original language 
speaks not only of quantity, but quality. Guys, we went from walking around dead people, blind as we can be, stumbling through life, and making a huge mess of it. Can anybody say amen to that? You know what, we're out there, I mean, what a disaster that was. You don't know Christ, you're trying to find the answers, you have no hope, you're trying to find hope in the things that the world has to offer. The world can only offer you temporary, you know, happiness, not eternal joy. You can try to fill it with relationships, with drugs, with alcohol, with sex, with money, with position, with power, with your career, with whatever it might be that you think is going to bring you happiness and the new car smell wears off every time. Amen? Why? Because the flesh will never be satisfied. We are dead people walking around, corpses. And then Jesus Christ came and breathed life into us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we went from being dead to alive. Not just the quantity of life that we're going to live forever, but the quality of life that we have eternal life right now. Amen? Guys, people say it's hard to be a Christian. Let me tell you what's hard, being an unbeliever. It's not hard being a Christian. Are you kidding me? I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I'm going to have some trials in my life, but I never go through another one alone. Never, ever. I have peace in the midst of the trial. I have the Spirit of the living God living inside of me. If you're here this morning and you have no hope, the only place you're going to find hope is in Jesus Christ. He's the only answer. He's the only truth. He came. The Bible tells us that we might have life and life more abundant. God didn't come just to get us to get out of hell free card and get us into heaven one day, but he came to transform us here and now. And so guys, we ought to be radically different than the world, amen? I mean, we ought to be glowing in the dark for Jesus when we're walking through Safeway, amen? Seriously, because guys, are you a little different than a dead person? I sure hope so. Amen? If you walked into a, you know, the coroner's office, I hope you would stand out a little bit. And here's the truth. The world around us is spiritually dead. When we walk into the world, we ought to stand out a little bit. Because we have eternal life. I know I'm excited this morning, but if you can't get excited about eternal life, wake up! Amen? Bible rocks, doesn't it? And then, one day... He gave us life and life more abundant. Then one day we get to leave behind this tent. And I'm really glad about that. I don't know about you. Things getting more and more creaky and falling apart all the time. And I can't wait to leave this tent behind one day. And the truth is, you've heard me say this before, we're not going to die. We don't die, we just move. Amen? We move out of this decrepit old tent and into perfection. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, because it's a free gift given by Almighty God. Guys, we can know for sure that we have eternal life. We can know for sure that we're going to heaven. Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. Guys, does that blow away the economic troubles of our day? Does that blow away all the other stuff that we get worried about? I'd rather have, you know, living in a shack, or no shack, living in the dirt. And have Jesus than be Bill Gates without him. Amen? Too often we think, if I had more of this, if I had more of that, if I could do that. No. It's less of me, more of him. That's the answer. That's where it comes from. That's where the joy comes from. One day we're going to fully experience the perfect, unending glory, holiness, and joy of heaven. Ephesians 2, 6, and 7 says this, He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show exceedingly, exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know what's amazing to me? He took six days to create the world we live in. And parts of it are unbelievably beautiful, and that's after the fall of man. What in the world do you think heaven is going to be like? God wants to blow us away, and he's going to. Amen? We are going to be blown away. Give us a heavenly perspective. We have eternal life now. We're seated with him. We have the promise of heaven to come. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We can know for sure we have eternal life that we're going to heaven. So how do you receive that? Well, you just told me I can know. How can I know? How do I know? Verse 12, the next verse. Look what it says. Second half of the verse. God has given us 
eternal life, and this life is in His Son. How do we have it? In His Son. God has given us eternal life, and He's given us that life in His Son. Again, it's not a reward, but a gift we received. At salvation, we passed from death into life. This life is in His Son. This abundant, eternal, joyous life we're talking about can only be found in Jesus. You've heard me say it before if you've been here very long. It's not found in Muhammad. Amen? It's not found in Buddha or Krishna. It's not found in drugs or pleasure or intellectual pursuits. It's not found in meditation or Eastern mysticism or contacting the dead. It's found only in Jesus Christ. Now again... May not be very long before that's considered hate speech in this country. But guys, the truth is the truth whether they outlaw it or not. And guys, the truth is the truth whether we believe it or not. The Bible tells us there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Boy, that sounds narrow, doesn't it? The Bible says that narrow is the way. And then we're on the narrow path. And praise God for it, amen? It's not some random or arbitrary test created by God. There's a reason that Jesus and Jesus alone can redeem us. Why? Here's why. Because we're all sinners. Every one of us. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. If you've been born again, you've been redeemed. But here's the point. We can't, pay for our, we, we can't do anything to pay for our sin ourselves other than face eternal judgment. That's the only choice we have. We can't do it by good works. We can't do it by going to church. We can't do it even through praying or reading our Bible. Those are all good things, but they will not save us. Those should be fruits of salvation, but they're not the source of it. The source of salvation is Jesus Christ alone. I know I'm being repetitive this morning, but you know what? He told them, and we need to hear it too. We need to hear it again and again and again. I would pray you'd be excited when you walk out of here today. You know what's interesting to me? It took a perfect holy sacrifice to pay for our sin. Do you know that no other religion even claims they can pay for your sin? There isn't one. None of them. And you know what else? None of them would even tell you you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And that's good. That's one of the few truths they tell right? None of them would tell you, you can know for sure. It's a path. It's a journey. It's an effort. It's a try. It's a, you know what? I'm so glad every other religion seeks to take from you. Our God desires to give to you, to give you eternal life because he loves you. It says in Isaiah, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Our sin keeps us from God. It says in Isaiah, the rest of that verse, but your iniquities have separated, separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It says in Ezekiel, the soul that sins shall die. In the New Testament, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then later in Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The price involved in paying for our sins requires death. There's no other way your sin can be paid for except through death. It's going to be ours or his. You're going to pay yourself or you let him pay for you. This is so clear. Why is he telling this? You might be sitting here going, Pastor Dave, I've heard the gospel a thousand times. You ought to be just as excited on a thousand and one. We need to be encouraged. He's writing this to them, as we're going to see later on in the text, as a source of encouragement to them. To remind them, you don't need any more truth. You don't need any more hope. You don't need another path. You don't need a new revelation. You've already got it. And be encouraged by the fact that you've got it. Our sin, to be redeemed, it would require a perfect sacrifice. Jesus alone is perfect. Jesus alone could pay. Jesus alone did pay. And there is life in the Son, and there is life no other way. Verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Is that pretty clear? 
How do people with a Bible read that and try to say there's another way? I'm baffled. And you know what? There's hundreds, if not thousands of verses just that clear. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Guys, get the Son. Have life. Amen? That's the call. That's the cry of our God. Reaching out to every one of us. I sent my Son. I showed my love for you. It's as clear as it can be. Jesus alone is the source of life. Without Jesus, I'm going to say it straightforward so we all understand it. Without Jesus... Every person who rejects Jesus is spiritually dead, lost, and going to hell. Oh, got to hell. I came because I heard you guys were getting a new building with some nice stuff in it. And hell. It'd be better to be warned about it than experience it. Guys, hell's a real place, but everybody who goes there will choose to go there. His, God's desire is that none should perish. Amen? He's desired that we all would have eternal life. He reaches out to every single one of us this morning. Jesus alone is the source of life. Without Jesus, we're dead, we're lost, and we're going to hell. Now, I get this question a lot, so I'll bring it up because maybe you have too. Isn't there another path for other peoples and nations? Maybe Jesus was for the, the people in Europe and America. I've had this exact question. And maybe for the people in Asia, it's Confucius and Buddha. And maybe for the people in Africa and the Middle East, it's Muhammad. Has anybody besides me heard that? Well, maybe that's just the way God did it. Maybe he sent different messengers to different people. Well, here's the problem. They're not just different messengers. They have a different message. Amen? And their messages completely contradict each other. That means they can't all be true. Amen? That's basic logic. If one contradicts the other, they both can't be true, so only one can be. So choose one. You want to put your faith in Muhammad? The prophet of the sword? You want to put your faith in Buddha, who didn't know himself as he sat under the tree wondering if he could get to heaven? You want to put your faith in Confucius, who had a bunch of great... No, we put our faith in the risen and living Savior, the God of gods, the creator of the universe, the Alpha and Omega, the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father, who proved himself to be God by raising from the dead. That's the God that we serve. Amen? Guys, Jew, Gentile, young, old, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, from Asia, Africa, India, Europe, Middle East, America, Canada, etc. We're all saved the same way, Jesus Christ. He's the answer for all of us. He's the hope for all of us. He's the redeemer of all of us. He alone. Guys, if there's another way, why did Jesus die on the cross? He died because there is no other way. Remember in the garden, he said, Father, you know, let this cup pass from me. There's another way. Can we just skip this whole crucifixion thing? That's Pastor Day paraphrase, but that's what he was saying. Can you just let this cup pass from me? Then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Why? Because it required a painful death that you and I might be redeemed. Notice, too, it, that salvation is in his son. It's not in a church. You're not saved by joining Calvary Chapel, amen, or joining any church or any denomination. You're not saved by a religion. Now, the word religion, relingara, which means to relink, I like that word actually, it means to relink sinful man back to holy God, but what it's meant, come to mean today is man attempting to find God through his own, you know, efforts, you know, going to church and keeping this and keeping that and keeping that and hoping that'll be enough to earn God's favor, Guys, it's not a denomination, it's not a church, it's not a religion, it's a person who saves us, and him alone. I'll never forget, I went to visit my dad's mom, we called her Granny, a little tiny lady, kind of a high voice, and her and her husband were debating. I was sitting there, and I just was loving it, because my, my dad's stepdad uh, was saying that he was going to go to heaven because he was a Lutheran. I'm going to heaven, I'm a Lutheran. That's what I'm going to heaven, I'm a Lutheran. 
Lutheran. I'm going to heaven. I'm Lutheran. That's why I'm a Lutheran. I got my baptismal certificate. I'm a Lutheran. I'm going to heaven. I'm Lutheran. Thinking Luther would be mad as he could be if he could hear you. You know what I mean? He'd be in heaven. No, right? Exactly. But here's the point. I loved it. My sweet little grandmother, all four foot 11 of her, said, I just love this. I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying not to mock her voice or anything. said, Andre, you don't go to heaven because you're a Lutheran. You go to heaven because of Jesus Christ. And I was like, amen, granny. That's a word right there. It's not being a Lutheran. It's not being a Calvary Chapelite. It's not being a Baptist or an Episcopal or a Catholic. It's one who has given their life to Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is in him. Amen? Don't put your trust in anything else. Guys, it's not what we know or who you know about, but it's who you know. Amen? I know about him. That's not enough. The demons believe and tremble. Knowing about him is not enough. It's having intimate fellowship with him. Not knowing or believing he exists, but having him. Walking in intimate fellowship with him. Let me ask you a question. Did you wake up this morning with the Lord? Do you walk with him all day long? Is he the one who guides and leads your every step? Does he, by his Holy Spirit, bring conviction? Guys, that's the life of a Christian. Not that you check in with him for an hour on Sunday. I better go check in with God, make sure that we're still on speaking terms. <laughs> better not be, amen? Better be more than that. So he says, this life comes from the Son. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So how do you have the Son? Verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now I love this because those of you who are here this morning saying, why is he telling us this again? That's exactly what's happening here. I'm telling you this again. I've written to you who believe in the name. You already believe. But I'm telling you that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm reminding you, you have eternal life. I want you to know that you have it. I don't want you to think you got to grab it from the Gnostics in their latest teaching, that there's some new thing that came down that you better get a hold of and add on to what you already know. You need to know you already have it. You're already going to heaven. You already have eternal life. And I'm telling you this, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Those who believe have eternal life. And John encourages these early believers with the truth they already knew, but they needed to be reminded of again and again, that they might continue to believe. The word there is to persevere in the face of persecution and false teaching, that you may continue to persevere. I'm telling you this so that when the opposition comes, you're saying, where in the world else would I go? I already have the words of eternal life. I already know the truth. I'm already in a relationship with Almighty God. Who in the world else has anything that can compare to that? Amen? We need to be encouraged and exhorted because this world's going to try to take us off track. All different ways. Appealing to your flesh. The world trying to draw you away, get you discouraged, have you doubting and questioning God. Just remember who you are and remember where you're headed. Remember whose son or daughter that you are. Remember whose bride that you are. Don't let the enemy trip you up with things that don't matter. They didn't need to stop hearing the gospel because they were saved and neither do we. We need to hear it again and again and again, the words there, believe in, says there to believe in, who believe in the name of the Son. The word believe in in Greek has the idea of trusting in, counting on somebody. Are you counting on Jesus? It's not just knowing about it, but you're counting on him. You've put everything in that direction. It's all him. It's not, you know, I've had people say to me, well, I dabble in all of them. Whichever one's true, I'll be covered. You know, have you seen those stickers, Coexist? You seen those? Those drive you nuts. You know, in my flesh, you just want to, how was that? No, but you don't want to do that. But here's the point. Pastor Dave did not, that, that's bad. Wrong flesh, don't do that, okay? But here's the thing. When you see that, it's, it's, it's given off as an air of, I'm just so accepting. You know, and hey, we're all heading the right, right path. That's one of the enemy's biggest lies. Make people feel as comfortable as possible, maybe even as religious as possible, while they're headed to eternity separated from Almighty God. 
Guys, we don't want to coexist. We want to we reach out to the lost and let them know that there is an answer and that there is hope, and His name is Jesus Christ. The word believe in, to trust in, to count on, goes beyond belief to putting one's full trust and hope completely in Him. Have you ever said that to somebody, you trusted in them and they failed you and you said, I was counting on you. It's that kind of a sense. Are you counting on Jesus? Are you counting on Him to pay for your sins? Are you counting on Him to give you eternal life? If you are, you're counting in the right direction. Amen? Amen. And He will never let you down. And he says there that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son. That you may have eternal life and you may continue to know that you have eternal life. Guys, we can know that we have eternal life. God desires that you understand that you know that you have eternal life. We can only know with assurance that we have eternal life if we truly understand that our salvation rests in Jesus Christ alone. If you think it depends on you even this much... You're going to not feel saved the day that you blew it. Anybody ever felt that way before? You blew it and you thought, oh man, maybe I'm not saved. Because I blew it. Guess what? You're going to blow it every day. Amen? Now I'm not giving us an excuse to sin. What I'm saying is that if it's based on how we're doing at that moment and based on how we feel at that moment, we're going to feel unsaved all the time. Guys, it's not about how you feel, but what Christ has done. It's not what we think or what we feel but who christ is we can know for sure that we are going to heaven our assurance cannot rest on our performance or our feelings it comes as we believe in the name of the son of god and we count on him i think we've driven that point home pretty good amen number one what can we know for sure that we're going to heaven that we have eternal life number two that god answers prayer do you know that god answers prayer Do you know that God loves it when we pray? Do you know that God desires that we would enter into his presence? He's made a way. The veil's been torn. It's opened up. You can enter in. Isn't it amazing that we can talk to God while we're driving down the freeway? Amen? You can talk to him anywhere and anytime. What a blessing. What a gift. And I think we all would say that we take it for granted sometimes. Amen? Here's what it says. God answers prayer. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, this verse gets destroyed by more people. You've heard of the faith movement, or the name it and claim it, or the grab it and blab it, or whatever you want to call it. And they take this verse, and they make it sound like faith is a movable object controlled by you, and you just tell God what to do, and if you have enough faith, he has to listen. Aren't you glad that's not true? What a mess this world would be. Can you imagine? Everybody, Cadillac, Cadillac, it's in the driveway. You know, everybody would just be asking for all this stuff, and he'd be a holy Santa Claus up in the sky, and if we got what we wanted, this world would be a disaster. Notice that we can have confidence. This is the confidence that we have in Him. We have confidence because we're in the Son that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come to the Father because we know the Son. Those who don't know the Son cannot come at all. Now here's what it says. Let me, let me break this down for you and what it really means. If we ask anything according to His will... He hears us. So in these few words, we find both the keys to answered prayer and some things that can hinder our prayer. First, God would have us ask in prayer. It says in James 4, We do wars. And where do wars and fights come from among, among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. As Christians, we often make the mistake of going into battle in every given situation in our own efforts. We try to battle temptation through our own efforts. Who's tried to do that? If your hand's not up, you're also a liar. (laughs) Amen? How many of you try to do that? I'm just going to stand strong this time. I'm not falling for it. Am I the only one that's done that? You know, and sometimes you might even even have a victory once in a while. Yeah, see, I can do it. No, you can't. Amen? We strive to bring about 
what we think is right. We go to war against the world, the enemy and our flesh, and guess what happens? We fail miserably. Why? Because if you do it in your own strength, you'll never succeed. Ever. God tells us to ask. Yet we have not because we ask not. Sometimes we tell people that we're praying for something to happen. But how often, let me, let me ask this. Think about this. Pay attention for a second. We tell people that we're praying for something to happen. But how often do we really take the time to get away and really seek the Lord in uninterrupted prayer? Do we need to do that more? You know, we'll talk about prayer often more times than we actually pray. Yeah, I need to pray about that. I'll be praying for you, brother. Anybody ever said that and then not done it? Have you noticed, if you know me at all, you ask me to pray for you, you know what I'm going to do? Right there. So I don't forget. I'm just being transparent as I can be. I hope that I pray for you again later, but if you say, can you pray for me? Absolutely, dear Heavenly Father. We're going to pray right now. Why? Because what happens is we get distracted, don't we? You know what God convicted me of as I've been studying this? I used to keep a prayer journal every year, and I stopped doing that. I'm going to start doing that again. Because you know what's great about it? Write it down. Amen? Amen? Write it down. You know what I used to love to do? Write it down, everything you're praying for every day. And what's great at the end of the year is to go back with a yellow highlighter and, and highlight all the times he answered prayer. And the truth is, you can highlight them all because he answers them all. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and other times he says wait. Amen? But I'll highlight the ones where, yeah, that's it. You know, praise the Lord. But here's the point. We can do that. But he's telling them to ask. If you ask, he wants us to ask. F.B. Meyer said, The great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. God wants us to ask. Much prayer fails because it never asks for anything. God is a loving and generous giver who wants us to ask of him. He wants us to. He's just waiting. Would you ask me? Here we are running around. What can I do? I don't know what to do in this situation. What do you think? I don't talk to five friends at work and go around and, uh, and strive and you know, call and do this. And, that. and the Lord's like, uh, here, hello. I want to take care of that for you. Hello. Why is he the last resort instead of the first place we turn? Well, I guess all I can do now is pray. Come on now, anybody else ever said that? Seriously, it's like the last resort. Well, all you can do for me is pray, I guess. Uh, yeah, okay, well, I've tried everything else. Maybe if you prayed first, you wouldn't have to try everything else. Amen? We have not because we ask not. Second, God, notice he says, if we ask, and now the second thing is, not only does he want us to ask, but he wants us to ask For anything in prayer. Ask anything in prayer. Now this doesn't imply that we're going to get anything we ask for, but anything in a sense that we can and should pray about everything. He's saying ask anything. Some people think, well that's not big enough to pray about. Cancer, yes. Cold, not so much. Right? Oh yeah, I got to pray for cancer. Oh yeah, I got to pray for cancer. That's big. Cold? I'm not going to pray for a cold. Can I tell you something? I've told you guys this before. I pray when I lose my keys. I'm serious. And you know what? God answers prayer. I'm serious. I've looked for hours and I go, oh, you know what? I should have. I stop and I pray and it's amazing. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go check my jacket pocket. Oh, there they are. You know why? God's reminding me. How about looking to me? How about letting me help? Guys, ask anything. Come to him with everything. Big, small, and in the middle. He cares. Do you know he cares about every aspect of your life? The Bible says he's numbered the hairs in your head. He knows specifically about you. Amen? That's the God that we serve. God cares about our whole life, and nothing is too big or too small for us to pray about. The Bible says in Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. Remember that, it changes our hearts. Amen? As we pray, we're not trying to get our will done on heaven, but His will done on earth. I love this illustration I ran across. This is so appropriate because it's talking about pastors. It says, two pastors' wives sat mending their husband's pants. One of them said to the other, my poor John, he's so discouraged in his church work. He's just, the other day was talking about resigning. It seems nothing is going right for him. The other replied, well, my husband was saying just the opposite. 
He's so enthused, it seems like the Lord is closer to him than ever before. A hushed silence fell as they continued to mend the trousers. One was working on the seat of the pants and the other the knees. Here's the difference. Amen? You got that. It took a second, didn't it? Oh! You know what? The one who is in God's presence and is praying has a different perspective on everything. Amen? It's a get-to, not a have-to. It's a joy. The trials of life, it's no big deal. My God's greater. But if I'm sitting on my duff doing nothing, I'm going to be discouraged all the time. Ask anything. Bring everything to the throne of grace. So first, ask. Second, ask anything. Bring everything to the Lord in prayer. Third, notice this part. This is the part people miss when they have the name and claim it, grab it and blab it. They must line this part out. Here's what it says. If we ask anything according to what? His will. He hears us. Again, when we pray, I just said it, it's not to get our will done on heaven, but his will done on earth. You know what hinders my prayer when I ask amiss? Wait a minute, didn't you just say we should pray about everything? Yes, pray about everything, but we should never pray for that which is clearly in direct contradiction with the word of God. You don't pray and ask God to bless your unequally yoked relationship. Lord, I just want you to bless the relationship I have with this unbeliever. Uh, the answer to that is no. Amen? That's like someone saying, hey, Lord, help me sell a lot of dope this week. I just, you know, it would really help. I mean, we think that's hilarious, and it is, and that's why I tried to make the point, something that we'd all laugh at. But here's the point. Sometimes we pray prayers just as ridiculous. We're telling God to bless our ungodly behavior. We're asking God to do something that directly contradicts the word of God. Guys, we pray according to his will, and where do we find his will? In his word. Amen? Can I encourage you, next time you start to pray about something, and every time you start to pray, you should be able to examine it and say, why would the Lord want to answer this, and where do I see an example of it in Scripture? Can I encourage you to do that? Because then, as we're going to see, you can pray with great boldness because it's according to the will of God, not the desires of my flesh. God wants us to pray about everything, but he wants us to discern his will through his word and to pray his will into action. When John wrote this, he may have been thinking of the verse he had written earlier. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. When we're abiding in Jesus, living in him day to day, then our will becomes more and more aligned with his will and we can ask for what we desire. The more and more uh, we'll be asking according to his will. I've said this so many times and some people say, you know, some people get caught off guard when I say it, but I believe it's true. Love God and do what you want. Love God and pray for what you want. Here's what I mean by that. When you're walking with him, when you're filled with the spirit, when you're spending time in his word, you're going to be praying for the things that are according to his will, not yours. Amen? Your prayer life's going to change from Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac to, Lord, I want to see my boss saved. Lord, I want a divine opportunity to share my faith with my boss this week. Lord, will you please open up a door? You think God's going to answer that prayer? Why? How do we know? Because he said, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. He says he desires that none should perish, no, not one. The word of God lines up with that prayer perfectly. That's a prayer you can pray with confidence and know that God will give that opportunity to you. Amen? That's the difference. Pray according to his will, not my will, not my wants. Some people say this too. Well, if it's God's will and he's going to do it anyway, Why do we need to pray about it? You know why? Because God wants to let you participate in his will. Isn't that good? Could he do it without you? What's the answer? All day long. Probably better. Definitely better. Amen? But he loves it when we work together with him. God wants us to work with him. That means bringing our will and agenda into alignment with his. He wants us to care about the things he cares about. He wants us to care about them enough to pray about them passionately. Look what it says there at the end of that verse. He hears us. As we ask everything of him, big or small, as we ask according to his will, he hears us. Last verse. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. 
When we ask according to God's will, when we pray the promises of God, we can have this confidence. We can pray with real and definite faith. Prayer should be so much more than casting wishes to heaven. It should be rooting, rooted in understanding God's will and the promises according to his word and then praying them into action. For each prayer request, we should be able to ask, what reason would God want to do this? And we should be able to answer that question from his word. We're going to go into prayer groups right now. If you're new here, my heart is that you would, if you, if you feel uncomfortable and you want to just stand there and say nothing, go ahead. That's fine. But you know what? We have not because we ask not. Amen? But Pastor David, it's already time for the thing. Hey, guys, is it, is, is it worth taking a few minutes to come before the throne of grace right now? What's the answer? You're like, man, that, how am I going to, that's a great question. I want to know what I'm going to say. I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm trying to encourage every one of us. Let's make God a priority right now. Amen? So I'm going to pray, and here's what I want you to do. Get with two or three people and just share a prayer request that you have. And here's what I also want you to do. If you feel comfortable praying, pray. If you don't, someone else in your group will pray for you. But can I encourage you to pray for those people, not just now, but all week long? Amen? Can we do that? I'm going to ask you one prayer request for me. I'm doing a memorial service today at 3 o'clock. And I'm doing a memorial service where I don't know if anybody there is going to be a Christian. And I'm praying that God will give me the ability to comfort them, but also the boldness to, in a loving and a gracious way, preach the gospel without compromise. Can you pray that for me? I believe God will answer that prayer, but I'm asking you to pray for me. Okay? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We pray in these next few minutes you would just take our prayer time together. And Lord, that you would knit our heart to yours. Lord, we're not trying to get our will done on heaven, but your will done on earth. And Lord, we just ask that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead real quick, get in a group of about three people in about five minutes or so, I'll close this in prayer.